0: everyone and welcome to the flourish podcast i'm your host dr tony ingram and you will hear straight from some of the top leaders in health and wellness on how to take control of your family's spiritual mental and physical health because we are all designed to flourish Now, as a reminder, this show is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the Flourish podcast should be taken as medical advice. For your own specific medical advice, please always consult with your own healthcare providers. So, with that being said, let's get started. I am so excited to talk to you guys today, um, so much so that I thought we needed to bring on a special guest and co-host, uh, the lovely Erica Acuna, who is hygienist and myofunctional therapist here with us at
1: Flourish. So Erica,
0: we're so, so glad to have you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ingram. I'm really happy to be here. Um, I think this is great. And I think, um, you know, I'm all about educating patients. I'm a hygienist at heart. So I think that's important to make people aware of some of these things.
0: Absolutely. So today in honor of today's podcast, we have a very important topic. So I wore one of my favorite (laughs) t-shirts for you guys. It is, if you're listening on one of your podcast apps, you won't be able to see it. Um, so I'll I'll just tell you if you're not watching on Rumble or YouTube, it is my, da, 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 da. I don't co-parent with the government t-shirt. Um, <laughs> so over the last three years, so many of you Uh, have come to realize that really the government has taken maybe too involved a role in our children's lives, and we would like to make sure that the government knows that we are in control of what our family does and doesn't do, what we learn and don't learn, the medications that we take and we don't take. So one of the areas where you may not realize that the government has been very involved in your family's life is in medication that is in our water supply. And that medication is fluoride. Fluoride has been in our in most municipal water supplies for many, many decades since the 40s and 50s. And uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today, because there's some important news around that. And I want to make sure that my patients, my listeners are as involved and informed as possible, because this is important. This is what your family drinks every day, what we ingest every day, what we bathe in every day. uh, And we want to make sure that we know what's going on. So let's start with Erica, first, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, tell us how you kind of came over to the, the biological <laughs> side of dentistry. Sure. And, and then let's talk a little bit about the history of fluoride.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. So I've been a dental hygienist. Uh, actually, I've been in dentistry now for 15 years, uh, which is wild because you know, time flies when you're having fun, you know, um, nice. 10 of those years, I have been a dental hygienist. And, you know, I I did dental hygiene school, the kind of way everybody does dental hygiene school, you know, you learn the standards, you learn the competencies, and you get out there and you do your best, you know. Um, I have one daughter. And I think when I became a mom, That was kind of my calling to, you know, keep my child pure. It was like, I didn't want to, I don't know. I didn't want to do anything extra. Like I just wanted her to be her. I wanted to not have to integrate so many things into her life if she was thriving and doing well. And like most moms that sends you down so many rabbit holes and as I kind of integrated mom life with my professional life, you know, I realized there's things that I did professionally that I did not want to do to my daughter. And for a while, I kind of kept it secret, you know, it's like, oh, I did this at work, but I didn't want to do it to her. And um, you start finding your people that kind of do the same thing. And you're like, I knew there was something about that, you know, Um And I think that's whenever I came to the said dark side. And after all these years, I realized like, I think it's actually the light side, you know, Um, which is really funny because in my operatory, it's generally darker and very ambient, you know. And it's true. You do
0: keep it very dark in there. I do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And patients love it, but they're like, oh, I'm coming to the dark side. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Right. It's really, it's fun, you know. but, you know, over the years I've learned a lot of dentistry can be very toxic and, you know, they, they have standards and and different things that they teach you in dental school. So there's not really, there's not really like a holistic, you know, dental hygiene program that makes us to believe a lot of these things until we do our own research and start looking at literature that is actually out there and telling us maybe a little different side of the story, you know, but, um, that's kind of how I started. And then one rabbit hole led to another and here I am telling patients all about it.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And our patients love you too.
1: Yeah, um, I, <laughs> we, and
0: we've got great patients, don't we?
1: We do. I, I, I really think we have the best patients out there. I really we do. We kind of do. It's yeah. really not fair.
0: Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's not fair to everybody I, else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Let's talk a little bit about the history of fluoride. So it was discovered in the early part of the 20th century. They found um, that communities that had naturally higher levels of fluoride in the water tended to have stronger teeth that were less prone to cavities. So Erica, tell us a little bit about kind of how we went from that to adding it to the water.
1: Sure. Um, You know, there's, there's been a lot of fluoride talk, like, I don't know, it could probably date back to the early 1900s, but uh, right about the forties, the 1940s, you know, that's when they kind of started to believe fluoride was much more of a nutrient, um, you know, and a nutrient is something like a, a vitamin or a mineral, something that's necessary for good health. Um, thus, you know, the people who didn't live in high fluoridated areas, they generally had more dental issues, things like that. So it was kind of the idea that if they didn't have a, like, or if they had a fluoride deficiency, that's where you had a problem, which was like dental cavities. Um, similar to like, if you had a calcium deficiency, osteoporosis, if you had a vitamin D deficiency, you could get rickets, something like that. Um, in reality, now nowadays we know that that's not that's not totally true. Um, the CDC does say that you know adding fluoride to the water was kind of one of the the top di- top ten biggest achievements you know in public health, um, and it started about the 1940s in Grand Rapid uh, sorry Grand Rapids, Michigan, and slowly as they integrated it in the water there, you know other sources kind of came about whether it was like our cookware you know fertilizers and you know, so many different things, even dental products and dental, dental hygiene products started including fluoride as well. Um, Some of the deeper history of how water was fluoridated from the beginning dates back into like World War II, into the Cold War. Um, It's kind of funny because there's, there's a really good book that I used for my own personal, like come out of the dental hygiene standards and and learn about fluoride. I think it's one of the big things that made me actually finally cut it out because I was like, well, then I'm not doing this anymore. But what do you do? Um, and we'll we'll talk about that book later. But um, it goes into the 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 historical part of um, like the Manhattan Project uh, where they were designing these uh, nuclear bombs. You know, for the wars that were going on. Um, and they would use some of these chemicals to like make these bombs. And so it became a lot of factories were like using these, these chemicals to like do some really wild stuff for the U S army. Um, lots of people and cattle in these areas were getting sick from the fumes of these factory plants. And so, you know, I started turning heads were turning. And say, what is this? Is it bad for humans? Is it bad for, for our cattle and our land and you know, everything around. And so um you know, there was a, a chief toxicologist named Dr. Harold Hodge. Um, I kind of, I kind of, you know, he was a doctor. I respect that, but start digging deeper into some of the things that he did. And you realize maybe there were some things that we probably should have known, but he was a big, big advocate for putting fluoride in our water system. Um, and at, during that time, back in the uh, in the 40s, it was like we really couldn't say fluoride was bad because if we said it was bad, it was going to kind of halt the U S army in making these nuclear bombs that, you know, were kind of a big deal at that point, I guess. Um, So it was approved. It was safe. They put it in the water, kind of, you know, the public endorsed it at that point. So from then on, you know, water was fluoridated um, like in the municipal water systems. And then it just kind of became like a, like a big thing that everybody was integrating it in the dental field uh, things like Teflon cookware, you know, some of that, you know, you have for it in all kinds of sources now that it just kind of became the standard. And if you, um, you know, at that point, if you spoke out about it, um, it was kind of like quackery, you know, it would, it could ruin you, it could ruin your career. And so, um, really interesting. Cause now we're speaking out about it and it's kind of like, it's funny how time is coming back to it, you know, but, um, in reality, Actually, it was you know, like a circle. Yeah. yeah it comes full circle yeah and um to me it seemed more like a, a one-size-fits-all strategy um kind of parent that I am I realized that you know that doesn't work very well for everybody so <laughs> um but that was water fluoridation for a very long time and there's been there's been a lot of studies kind of going on since because it's always been somewhat of a controversial thing mm-hmm. but because it was during that time and the the Manhattan project and building these bombs it's like it was necessary for the government to be able to not scare people in that it was a bad thing for us. So that's how it kind of integrated in our, in our water system. So really crazy.
0: It, it, it is crazy actually. Um, what's interesting is that like, I just wonder the conversations that happened behind closed doors that led to that decision of, Oh, it seems like this is helpful for, for oral health. Therefore, let's, let's put it, it. it in our water supply. Like mm-hmm. it, there are rumors that, that they needed to, that there were these extra chemicals from, in, from different industries, you know, including the fertilizer industry, mm-hmm. um, where they needed a, a way to dispose of those chemicals. Again, that's just rumor. I haven't really seen proof of that, Um, But it it makes you wonder what led to a substance being found as helpful to all of a sudden, we're going to make sure that every person who drinks water uh, is exposed to it.
1: Yeah.
0: So, and, and that's where, that's where I think, I think you and I both have major problems with the the (laughs) ethics behind that. Uh, because I was always taught, I assume that you were taught also that we shouldn't medicate someone without their consent. And Correct. I'm not exactly sure how you can consent if your municipal water system places something that's meant to be a therapeutic treatment for you in your water. Um, yeah without knowing, without knowing the risks and without knowing Mm -hmm. the the true benefits of it.
1: Yeah. it's not informed Um, consent for sure. Yeah.
0: Definitely not informed consent. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's, I want to talk about a lawsuit because there is a lawsuit that's going on in the news. Um, And then we'll talk about, we'll go into kind of this, the science behind where does fluoride have a place? Where does it not have a place in our opinion? Um, And kind of what we, what, where we go from there. Uh, But the lawsuit is something that is probably not going to be covered in great detail in the media. And so I want to make sure that our patients and our listeners are aware that it's going on because it is important. Um, So, there is there is a, a group online called the Fluoride Action Network, and you can find them on fluoridealert.org, I believe is the name of the website. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other nonprofits as well Moms Against Fluoridation, uh, Food and Water Watch. And in 2016, they delivered a petition to the EPA to end the addition of fluoride into the drinking water because of fluoride's neurotoxicity. Uh, the EPA said, no, no, thanks. Let's, we'll not, we're not going to do that. Um, and so those nonprofits banded together and they sued the EPA. Um, and this was back in 2017. And I don't know if if you've ever been involved in the legal system or in a lawsuit, hopefully you haven't, but things move very, very slowly. So Mm -hmm. if you add the legal system plus large government agencies being involved in the lawsuit, then you can imagine things will move even slower. Um, And then in 2020, there was an event that distracted many of these government bodies Um, and so things moved even slower. So yes, this lawsuit was filed in 2017. Um, in 2020 there, um, they had one, you know, beginning part of a, a seven day trial, um, different hearings that have happened and, and that is ongoing. But what's important is that it, a lot of the evidence that's being used in this lawsuit is going to come from uh, what's called the NTP report. And NTP is the national toxicology program. And the report was completed. And again, this is you know, by cooperation from government agencies. So the department of health, um, the report was completed based on a six-year systematic review um, and was set to be released in May of 2022. And this report was basically a review of multiple studies um, that were looking at the neurotoxicity of fluoride. In that report, there were 72 studies that looked at IQ levels of children that were exposed to different levels of fluoride, and they found, a a positive correlation between fluoride levels in the drinking water and a loss of IQ score. Um, so it was clearly a very, very mm-hmm. interesting to say the least mm-hmm. report, um, interesting is maybe a nice word for it it was an angering report um yeah. so the report was set to be released in May of 2022 that report was blocked from being made public by health secretary Rachel Levine um and then thankfully a judge compelled them to release that report in March of 2023 based on the Florida action networks um continued legal work and continued fight. So a lot has been going on in the background. Uh, These court dates happen very, very slowly, but basically now the report is out and the judge has said that things can continue to move forward and another court date has been set for January of 2024. But in the meantime, the report is now public and you can go online and see that NTP report, and we can look at exactly what's going on, exactly what was studied, um, and see and see that some of the some of these uh, research studies that were used in the systematic review. So let's sorry, I skipped around just a little bit. I'm looking at my notes, Erica. Let's go let's talk about the, where, where fluoride actually can be used. And then we'll go back to these studies some
1: again. So fluoride for the most part, um, you know, in the dental industry is used obviously as a, um, you know, they, they have it in all kinds of forms, whether it's like a topical, a rinse, a toothpaste, um, in the drinking water, lots of different sources, um, that are you know, it's pretty much included into for dental health. Um, you know, I grew up in in the, the time where you walked into a dental office to get your dental cleaning. Um, at the conclusion of every dental cleaning to hopefully, you know, instigate good oral health and protection from the the bad the bad guys, the cavities. You know, we would do fluoride treatments. Um as a child, I remember I would do everything from brushing of foam on my teeth or you know, we put this really huge tray filled with gel, and you would have to sit there for like a minute in hopes that you don't gag or, you know, swallow it all, but you had to sit there for at least a minute. And I think some of those, even three minutes. Um, same goes for rinses. Some offices would use, you know, fluoride rinses at the conclusion of a dental appointment. Um, you can go into almost any grocery store in the dental aisle. There's toothpaste galore that just have fluoride all in them and it's kind of overwhelming for a lot of people because walk in and you're like which one do I get they all have fluoride so you assume it must be good for me you know um but not just that I mean there's so many different other places where we can be receiving fluoride and not really know about it um once it was integrated into uh the water systems you know that pretty much kind of it taints the soil you get in the soil so then you get food sources and crops and produce that are actually grown with fluoride in it um it's just one of those things that it's hard to say you know it comes from a multitude of different sources but one of the biggest things is the water fluoridation and so you know water is kind of essential to humans (laughs) so we get it when we're taking a shower, we get it when we're drinking water from our home source, um, you know, bathing, even just brushing your teeth at home with your water. You know, you're you're getting a dose of fluoride at the same time there. And it's just that constant exposure that becomes a concern once you start reading a lot of the literature about you know fluoride and its neurotoxicity. But um you know, I guess we start talking about the chemistry of it and why why it was kind of integrated into, you know, the dental world, uh, you know, even after water fluoridation, um, you know, we start looking at our, yeah, I'm going to get a little technical here, but um, our tooth enamel is about 96, 97% hydroxyapatite, um, which is kind of a bioavailable, or, I'm sorry, biocompatible. It's like calcium and phosphate, you know similar to bones and so the idea was if you added fluoride to it um it would replace that hydroxy and become fluorapatite. you know apparently that's a much 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 more stronger than what your natural bone and teeth is so um it would make it much much harder for cariogenic bacteria to actually penetrate the tooth surface Thus, you get no cavities you know now we don't want to you know everything in excess could be bad, you know, (laughs) so there's, there's always those risks involved with too much of everything. But, you know, we really take a look at too much fluoride, what can it do to you, you know, and there's, there's warnings on all the dental products that have fluoride in them that you shouldn't, shouldn't have too much, you know, it could be lethal, it could be, could be really bad, you know, there's a lot of symptoms that come with too much fluoride. And some of those, you know, we've kind of been conditioned to just, go with, or we actually just don't point them to the fluoride itself. Um, But, you know, thinking point here, you know, if fluoride was added to the water system, you know, to help all of those who had risk for cavities, um, would they start doing the same thing if they were kind of trying to mitigate anxiety or depression or, you know, uncontrolled blood sugars, you know, what what else would they put in the water system to kind of be a one size fits all treatment? kind of scary if you think about things like that. Um, but that's kind of how they start putting it in all of the, um, pretty much everything in dental products. You know, you even look down to some of the filling materials that are used whenever you're, you know, getting a filling done. Um, they, some of these materials are actually like fluoride releasing. So you have to be cautious about that too, because, you know, um, you get it in your toothpaste, you get it in your you know, cleaning polish, you know, you also get it in the material that's used for your composite fillings. And then you go home and you, you brush your teeth with fluoridated water and fluoridated toothpaste. It's like, there is so much exposure to fluoride these days. It's wild.
0: It's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So
0: basically what you're saying is that the powers that be decided that our teeth made of fluoride was better than the way God made our teeth with calcium.
1: Yes. Gotcha. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I agree with that at all, but yeah, <laughs> quite frankly, that's apparently he didn't do it right.
0: He didn't do it right. He was insufficient. <laughs> apparently.
1: Insufficient. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Hard thing to believe sometimes.
0: So what, so I know that, our, our naturopaths that refer patients to us really are uh, big believers in getting their patients off of fluoride. Um, I know some of the reasons that that they are so passionate about it and feel like it's so important that their patients are off of it are one, are patients who have thyroid issues because fluoride competes with iodine in the thyroid. So it can Mm -hmm. impact thyroid health. Um, I've had some naturopaths say that it can calcify the pineal gland, Mm -hmm. which obviously that would be unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some osteoporosis, skeletal porosis, um, types of side effects that can happen when you're exposed to high levels over a certain period of time. And we don't exactly know what those high levels are where it's, it's just not well studied what's considered high and what's not considered high. Um, and what are, what are some other side effects that, that you're seeing or noticing of, uh, fluoride in general that we might not always hear about?
1: I mean, some of the, you know, I've had patients tell me the first time, I mean, even myself, you know, I felt like I always jumped around from toothpaste to toothpaste because it just, you know, something weird would happen. It would be like ulcers. You'd break out in ulcers everywhere in your mouth and you didn't really point it to the fluoride itself, but maybe it was another ingredient inside the toothpaste. But it was funny because I would jump from toothpaste to toothpaste, all of the, all the big ones out there, you know, and I could never find one that was just the right one, you know? Right. Um, but you know, ulcers in the mouth, you can even dental fluorosis. I mean, that's a big one. Um, you know, depending on where you grew up too, you tend to see patterns of, uh, different teeth that it look, have that, um, like a modeled appearance, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that ties it right back to skeletal, you know, calcifications and stuff, because if it does that to your bones, it's going to do that to your teeth and too much you know, too much exposure as well. Um, but some of West the things... Texas
0: water is what I
1: always hear. I know, like, oh, um, I grew
0: up on West Texas water. I, so I've got the fluoride stains you know, on my teeth.
1: Yeah. You know, and I'm, uh, I grew up in South Texas, coastal bend area. And it was the same thing. And just, you would see, you would see that and think that that's just, you were the luck of the draw, you know, <laughs> you, you happen to either drink too much water or something was in the water that gave you that modeled appearance. Mm -hmm. Um, in short term, you know, I think one of the biggest things that kind of started making people kind of aware, I think it was 1974, there's a little boy that actually, I think he was three. Um, he, uh, you know, unfortunately died from ingesting like a way too much of a, like a dental gel that had fluoride in it. And so it really got people thinking like, this could be bad. Like, this is really bad. Um, but you know, so death is a big one. Um, people will get like tremors, twitching. They'll kind of go into like convulsions, and uh, you know, a lot of just neuro things. So it makes you think: Is it really, you know, neurotoxic? Um, all the all the dental products say you shouldn't swallow this. You know, <laughs> like yeah. even the dental the dental office treatments. It was very much you know, hold it in your mouth for 30 seconds or a minute, and then spit out. You never want to just swallow it, and you're like but it's in my mouth. So like <laughs> I won't swallow it. I promise. Yeah. I,
0: how can how could one even measure right. how much you're going to swallow when you spit out most of it? It's mixed with saliva. Like you're, you can't not swallow some of it.
1: And some of those are higher concentrations because they're the fluoride treatment, you know. And so you're like, I mean, me too. I'm back in the day and have like fluoride varnishes applied to my teeth, and it's like I didn't. I guess I wasn't thinking at that point, but I would always be that patient that like get this massive headache like right after, and I think it would make my salivary glands like just kind of profuse. Just it was the strangest thing, and you know, never once tied it back to the fluoride, but it was like, every time I had a fluoride treatment, I just felt awful afterwards. And yeah, like, well, we condition ourselves to kind of think this is how it is. This is what you do and, um, keep yep. moving, you That's know, right. <laughs> don't That's ask right. questions. Uh,
0: yeah. Oh, for sure. Don't
1: ask questions. <laughs> yeah. Until What's <laughs> interesting
0: is when I, um, towards the end of dental school, I can remember, or no, maybe it was soon after dental school because it was because it was a continuing education class that I was taking and it was an education class on the infant oral exams, um, that it's right. specifically the, the D0145 code, yep. uh, the infant oral exams specifically in a Medicaid setting, which yep. is where I worked for a couple of years, uh, after graduation. And they specifically wanted us to paint fluoride varnish on gum tissue, on gum tissue, on, gum oh, tissue, yeah. on these babies yeah. with no teeth. Yep. Yeah. And so I can remember even that, you know, this is before I was crunchy. Um, yeah. even then I asked, well, how do you, how do you keep them from swallowing it? Why do they need fluoride varnish on their gum tissue? And the reasoning was they actually expected the babies and toddlers to swallow it Mm -hmm. so that the teeth as they were erupting would have fluoride incorporated and be stronger as they erupt.
1: Yeah.
0: So basically what they're saying, what they're saying when they do that is they feel like you're too stupid to brush your kids teeth and keep sugar from sitting on your kids teeth so we have to make your baby ingest this stuff so that it's already incorporated when they get teeth from the very beginning
1: that's what it sounds like to me
0: i don't i don't like when when people insult me
1: yeah and that seems yeah. insulting it does it does <laughs> and i mean I mean, you know, I was a new mom at one point too, and there's things that you just don't know. And, you know, you, you look up at some of these medical professionals and you're like, I want, you know, the health and safety and the happiness of my children. And if you say this is for them and it's good, then, you know, we ultimately all want great for our children, you know, of course. but, you know, some of the people that don't, don't question this, they take the advice of some of these professionals who are taught this. Mm -hmm. and they give it to their children. And it's the way I felt with, with fluoride varnishes. I often wonder what do these babies feel, you know, after a fluoride treatment, you know? And I, I think that was one of the big things when I became a mother and it was like, does my daughter really need this, you know? And,
0: um, Oh, that's such a good question that I, I hadn't even thought of until you just said that, like, of course you were, you tend to be more sensitive, Like some of our sensitive patients, you tend to be Mm -hmm. more sensitive to different chemical exposures. Mm -hmm. One of these canaries in the coal mine kind of people. So, so yeah, of course, what do these babies experience? They're not Mm -hmm. getting a high enough of a dose that it's causing, you know, immediate, urgent clinical side Mm -hmm. effects, but what are they experiencing? Are they, are they getting the same headaches that you would get? Yeah. When you were bigger and were getting fluoride treatments in the office.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, the hygienist heart in me, it's like, I always want to do what's right. And I want my patients to understand the value of, you know, the things that I recommend. Um, but you know, there came a point where I was like, I don't, I don't think they need it. So, you know, I don't want to give them something they don't need. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't, it, that's where the ethics came in. Um, and it was like I can't, I'm not gonna give them something that they're that they don't need. Um, and I'm not gonna push them to it because if they don't need it, then why am I going to just make them part of the standard and give it to them? You know. Yeah. Um so what was that?
0: I'm curious. Uh what was that timeline like for you? Uh, because I know this was long before your flourish days. Um how 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 did you stop poisoning your patients? <laughs> That's
1: I wanna ask. Yeah, I know we're going to get kicked um, off YouTube
0: anyway. It's fine.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> um, so, you know, went to dental hygiene school, um, and actually a little bit of history. My, my senior project was developing a floor, a community fluoride program. Um, and I, so you were know, we're helped- in deep. I was in deep, man. I was, I was like that probably teacher's pet, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do good. I was first called first generation college student, you know, and I was like, I'm going to do good. Um, I studied it and you know, they teach it. It's, it's like a vitamin, it's a nutrient, everybody needs it. And I, I took off running with it, you know? Um, I'm not sure if this fluoride program is still going on here in the DFW area, but I know it was for a few years after I graduated, even about the time that I actually started going down my rabbit holes. And then I became a mom and that's when I was like, oh, I don't think I need that, you know, but um, yeah, pretty much my daughter is almost seven. And as soon as she was born, this was about the same time that the fluoride action network had just kind of uh, handed the petition to the EPA and, you know, she was just weeks old and it was kind of like, dang, maybe that was the seed that planted it, you know, cause I was like, mm. you start thinking about things. And I think I followed it for a little bit somewhere in the woes of new motherhood, you know, um, when she got her first teeth, um, you know, it was like, do the thing you're supposed to brush and you can use like a tiny little pea size amount of fluoridated toothpaste, you know, and brush those teeth. And i like, not going to do that either. Water's just fine. You know, at that time it was tap water. So, I mean, she was still getting that kind of fluoride, but um, that was about when I started to really, you know, I worked in corporate dentistry at the time too, and you got to make your fluoride quota, you know, and I wasn't good at it because I couldn't tell people to do it. Um, It just wasn't something that I felt wholeheartedly confident in, especially if I knew my patients and, knew their diet, knew their lifestyle, knew their, their home care regimens that they did. Like if they hadn't had cavities in you know, four or five years, it was like, are they really at a heightened risk? You know? Right. Um, so you start finding your people that are like, yeah, she's not going to make me do the fluoride, the extra $50 I have to pay at checkout, you know? And, and that's kind of where I went. Um, I actually didn't even know biological dentistry was a thing. Like it was, you know, you just start finding your hippie patients and they start following you wherever you go. And, um, I left corporate dentistry, um, kind of went on different ventures. And another friend of mine was, was trying to start up, you know, I think we both learned a lot about biological dentistry and that it was an actual thing and, um, jumped right in. And I don't think I ever turned back. Like, it was like, the more I knew, the more I was like, I'm definitely not going to poison my child, you know, (laughs) it's crazy. But,
0: um, so that's good. So you were, you were, you kind of, kind of like I did, like you kind of incorporated slowly enough that Mm -hmm. you didn't have to, you didn't face a point where you were getting in trouble from your manager or your, (laughs) or your doctor for not doing fluoride. Right.
1: No, I mean, I think that kind of conversation was back in my corporate days. Or like, you know, you would make your, you would make your production quota if you would get a couple more fluoride treatments in Just there. Do
0: fluoride. Yeah.
1: You're like, uh, yeah. oh, I'll try, but not really. It's like, you know, you stand yeah. behind the fingers behind your back going like, nah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think when it, when it affected your pay, that's when you're like, this is not right. You know, I'm not going to yeah. push something that they don't need so I can get paid for it. Um, right but yeah, you know, and, and, and life was a lot easier professionally as a dental hygienist when you just had to take fluoride out of it, you know, because it's always that conversation at the end, like, okay, let's do your fluoride treatment and patients like, do I have to pay for it? Does my insurance cover it? And nobody wanted to pay for it, you know, even if it was needed. Um, so it just, I honestly, I had (laughs) forgotten about those, those uncomfortable conversations. Right. And it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to just let it go, you know, and I, you know, I don't have anybody these days, like in the last six years, I haven't really had anybody complain about me not pestering fluoride on them. And it's just, it's <laughs> a great thing to cut it. And it's really hard for a lot of hygienists because, you know, those are the standards in dental hygiene school, you know, yeah. they, they, weigh that, you know, so to get out in the real world and start seeing your patients and you want to do good for them. Um, you're like, what if I don't do for it on them? Like, are they going to, are they going to get cavities and it's going to be my fault? You know? <laughs> um, yeah, I could, I don't know. I just kind of couldn't do it. I didn't think they needed it. And I didn't want to force something on them because they have to consent to it and they have to be, you know, confident in their decision. And right. if I wasn't confident in it, I felt like I was lying and I'm not gonna lie to my patients. Like that's not like I can't do it. I'm not a good person if I if I lie and I wouldn't do that to my patients. So
0: So what would you say? You probably have you probably have nicer, more real world advice than I would. What would you say to your dental hygiene colleagues who are in quote unquote, normal dentistry, uh, but who are questioning their own use of fluoride on their patients. Um, what advice would you have for them uh, if, if they don't feel comfortable doing that fluoride varnish after every cleaning?
1: You know, for me, and I mean, I'm very transparent with my patients because everybody's on this journey. You know, everybody wants to, um, do good for themselves or their children. You know, everybody's on this journey and heck I was there too at one point. So, you know, I say question everything. I I always tell my patients if I want you to understand why I'm recommending this, like I would never tell them like you have to do it today. Oftentimes I tell them, you know, read up on it. You know, I give them my number, my email, and I tell them if you have questions, let me know. We'll you know we'll follow up on it at your next appointment and most of them will go and read it and then they're like, "Well, I didn't I didn't know that," you know, and it made them fully aware of what why I wasn't going to do it. Um and I tell the, you know, some of the other hygienists and people that I've, you know, ran into, you know, it, it the more you know, the more you do, you know, and vice versa because you you start to not do a lot of things because you learn more about it. And so, yeah. you know, do your research. We're all in this journey give yourself some grace. I mean, if you were taught the way you and I were, I mean, we all did it at one point. And it's kind of like that waking up moment where you're like, well, do we have to do that? You know, and we don't have to, if there's other, other ways out there to get the job done without, you know, falling back on fluoride. It's not the end all be all. Exactly. Know?
0: Exactly. And mm-hmm. that that's a perfect segue. Um, So I always say, say I have much stronger ethical and even scientifically, I have much stronger Mm -hmm. opinions, um, against fluoride in our water supply than I do fluoride in our toothpaste, but I still, I, I don't want any fluoride in my office because you know, the, the topical use of fluoride, I don't think is, as dangerous, as nefarious as taking it in systemically, continuously over long periods of time. Um, and the topical use of fluoride is shown to be more effective at preventing cavities than the systemic ingestion of fluoride. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: But with that being said, having fluoride present everywhere in ways and in dosages that we can't measure. It now has become a very strong value and principle of mine clinically that we don't have it or use it in our office. So even topically, because we can't control the dose in other places, I'm not going to add to that dose Mm -hmm. in my office. So we don't have fluoride in the office. We don't use it. We don't promote Mm it. Um, None of it, not even in our water not even in our water. It's filtered out before it gets past the, the back wall of the office is where that filtration is. Um, so that being said, what do we do to prevent cavities? Because we, you're right. It's not a nutrient. We don't need fluoride. So when patients ask, what do we do then to help prevent cavities? Then what do you typically say to them?
1: I tell them we are not a fluoride deficient society. We are a nutrient deficient society. Um, I think that comes from Dr. Stephen Lynn, but that really, that really hits the nail on it. You know, um, there's a whole lot of reasons why cavities do happen. Um, I mean, the key to, to holistic dentistry really is finding the root cause. And more often people are on, or at least my patients, they're on a journey where they're trying to improve their lifestyle and they're trying to change up and, and lower their toxic load in, you know, in their life. So I, I have conversations with them where I start asking about their diet, their sleep, um, how, what kind of water source they have. And I really dig deep into a lot of that. Um, I mean, it's a little cliche, but I tell them, you know, we need you to eat well, sleep well, breathe well, you know, uh, and live well, all, all of those things. You know, when we start digging deep into some of those, we change up diet, we change up their water source, and we give them the nutrients that they do need the real nutrients that they need. We give those to them, um, and we can make a shift in that microbiome to help them not get any more cavities. And thus sometimes they do have to be restored. Um, they're at a point where we have to restore them and that's okay, but I ultimately don't want them going down that, that path of always had reoccurring cavities. So my goal is change, change a lot of those things that are the actual causes of the cavities before, you know, falling back on something that, you know, as toxic as fluoride is, it's not working, you know, if it worked and with so many sources of it these days, why do, why do people still have cavities? You know, if, if exactly. It, it, if it's effective, why is, why is, why do we have to give the bad news in the dental office that somebody has cavities and we have to fix them? Um, so I, I really dig deeper and I, I tell them, you know, it's not a nutrient, but we got to get you to a point where you are receiving the nutrients you need well enough to be able to sustain, you know, caries prevention, um, going forward, you know, having like that healthy, you know, oral microbiome that's going to support, you know, you know, years of not having to have dental work. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many things we can do these days now. Um, diet and nutrition is like a big talk on my end. You know, I really spend as much time as I can with my patients on that because, you know, raised in the eighties and nineties, like you start looking at the things you ate as a kid and you're like, I don't know how I'm still alive, but you know, we were, we were all there at some point. And so, you know, I think, uh, a lot of our patients are kind of on the same realm where they're thinking like, I want better for my children. I'm like, yeah, you and me both, you know, and it's like changing the things that we did for our children. So that way they don't live the same, you know, the same way that we, we are as adults, you know, Absolutely. um, yeah, that's kind of how I end up. Tackling. Oh, I think you're
0: a hundred percent correct. It, you've got to get to the cause. You've got to get to the the very very basics, just like any other area of health. Just like when you're preventing any other chronic illness, you have to get to the root. You know, are yeah. we eating well? Are we getting nutrients? Are we absorbing the nutrients that we're getting? Mm-hmm. And if you can solve that, then a lot of other things just fall into place. Fall into
1: place, yeah. Uh,
0: but we still, even then, like it. I get it, people still need a bit of an easy button. Like you need something mm-hmm. because changing your diet and seeing those results takes time. It takes time. It ta- yeah. takes sometimes a year or more. Um, so in the meantime, we still have products that are safer than fluoride that can be helpful at topically preventing mm-hmm. and reversing tooth decay so sure, we can yeah. we can do those remineralizing toothpaste that have, instead of instead of creating fluoroapatite crystals in the enamel let's add some calcium hydroxyapatite the mm-hmm. substance that our enamel is actually made out of uh, yeah. and if we we found if we get the particle small enough it will actually absorb into the tooth and
1: help remineralize the tooth yeah. um Kind of like can... the law of similars, you know, like when something's weak, you, you give it what it is to help yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Um yeah. if your enamel is weak, give it the hydroxyapatite, and that's a big one these days. And um, there's a lot of toothpaste out there that are kind of going that realm too, you know, mm. a lot of uh hydroxyapatite toothpaste out there. And um a lot of our patients, you know, when they make the switch, which is Amazing to me because some of them come in with sensitivity. Some of them come in with just, I always have, I'm always the cavity person. I always have cavities no matter what I do. Mm -hmm. We put them on a hydroxyapatite toothpaste and they come back and they're not experiencing the sensitivity they've had for years, you know? Um, And it's just amazing. There's different products that have the hydroxyapatite from toothpaste to tooth putties to tooth powders, all kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. um, I think integrating those. Um, we've done some, you know, chairside ozone treatments just to be, you know, just balancing that microbiome at the same time, you know, and patients think that's amazing. And it, it's, it's oxygen too. So we're not incorporating anything else. Um, right. You know, crazy stuff, you know,
0: there's then, a lot more
1: ways to do it. And I think that's why people are afraid to let go of fluoride. Even professionals, because they're like, we just don't know what else to do. You know.
0: I know that's what doesn't make sense to me. Is mm-hmm. they're like, oh, well then what do you do? Yeah. Well, like, well, oh, well, there's <laughs> like a whole a whole world of things that, that are scientifically yeah. proven to do well and to help yeah. prevent tooth decay. Yeah. Um I still let uh, I love some of the studies behind xylitol are really good, solid studies. Um, Some of them are showing that it can be as effective statistically, if not more effective than fluoride at reducing Mm -hmm. the number of cavities that you have. If you get certain exposures to xylitol and xylitol is just a plant-based sweetener. We want to, we we could do a whole other podcast episode and probably will on xylitol. (laughs) Um, because we want to make sure that we source it correctly. There are, there are pros and cons to xylitol. But again, if, if I had my choice between which safer, which is safer xylitol or fluoride, um, then I'm going to choose xylitol 100% of the time.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, That's something else that we, we, we usually talk about in exposures to xylitol too. And patients are like, where do I get this stuff? So we go down the rabbit hole of trying to find, um, you know, different sources for them to integrate, you know, more than one or two exposures of xylitol per day, a good sourced xylitol. So we can, we can change, you know, their dental history from here on out.
0: Yeah. Um, I love those rabbit holes. Those are fun rabbit holes to send people on.
1: (laughs) You know, this kind of dentistry really is fun. Like I, I'm not sure I can work in a in a regular dental office anymore. (laughs) I can't do it. If I'm not, I just can't do it. It's not going to work.
0: Well, no, especially if they would ask you to poison your patients every day.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm going in and say, I don't poison my patients. So if that's going to be a problem, then (laughs) have a good day. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy.
0: Okay. Well, let's Let's see, we've talked about a lot of the side effects of fluoride, you know, why we don't why we don't love it, um, especially in the water supply. Uh, we can't control the dose, we can't give consent. There are a ton of effects we just don't know. Um, oh, there was another. I was doing some research, looking up some of the articles, and it just happened completely by chance. I just happened to come across um the American cancer society. I was actually looking yeah. up the wa- different water levels. And cause you know, I asked oh, you yesterday, right. yeah. when did they change their guidance? Because they used to say the ideal amount of fluoride in water was one part per million or, um, or one, um, is it milligram per liter? I think yeah. is the and, units and you know that, that they use.
1: That- That dosage right there, that threshold was established back in the forties by Dr. Harold Hodge, you know, and that's how long ago that was (laughs) might need to be updated. Well, they updated Uh, it in
0: 2015 and in 2015, they said, because fluoride is now so prevalent in our environment mm-hmm. um, because it's been in the water for so so long, they have reduced that ideal to 0.7 uh parts per million. Um mm-hmm. and where I saw that, and hopefully you can still see me because I don't want to share my screen and make you see the article, but um but I just want to read it's on the American Cancer Society's website and it's a page all about fluoride um oh, wow that's and crazy the, that's- the way that they word it is so fascinating to me hmm. it says you know several studies looking at a possible link between water fluoridation and cancer have been published in recent years um a partial report of a study from the Harvard School of Public Health published in 2006 found that exposure to higher levels of fluoride in drinking water was linked to a higher risk of osteosarcoma in boys, but not girls. And that's true. The second part of the Harvard study published in 2011 compared the fluoride levels in bones near tumors in people with osteosarcoma to the levels in people with other types of bone tumors. Um,
1: And then side effect. (laughs)
0: <laughs> blah blah blah. Yeah, it goes through what they found, uh, and their summary was these studies have not found an increased risk of osteosarcoma in areas of water fluoridation. And then I there's another one here where the wording is interesting. Oh, here's a, a good little quip they concluded overall no clear association between water fluoridation and incidence or mortality of bone cancers were found. However, given the level of interest surrounding the issue of public water fluoridation, it is surprising to find that little high quality research has been undertaken. So basically, in every, it's a very PC, article from the American yeah. Cancer Society basically they're saying we don't know it hasn't been studied well no good quality data says that there is a clear link between water fluoridation and increased cancers um
1: i just that doesn't mean we still need to use it right <laughs> Well, why, why should
0: the burden of proof be on researchers to find that it's dangerous and that there is a clear link to cancer? Why shouldn't the burden of proof be on whoever is putting the effing medicine in the water to prove that it's safe first? Like, it seems like, it seems like there, things are going backwards. Things are in reverse here.
1: Yeah.
0: That instead of showing that it's safe, they are waiting and waiting and waiting. They're going to keep exposing the public to it until somebody proves that it's dangerous.
1: Oh, yeah. We have to wait for that. <coughs> wait for a tragedy to happen before. Before we but What's the tragedy it?
0: that's going to happen? It's already happening. It's already
1: happening. Like, the
0: tragedy hmm. is we've been exposed to this crap for decades. Now it's generational. And we can't just like every other chemical that we're exposed to, just like Roundup and GMOs and all the thing. Like you can't, you can't link it to a specific thing.
1: It's, it's just
0: this cumulative effect of it being everywhere, all the time, and everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's, that's one thing that we do, or at least I, I try to help my patients with too. I just we're just trying to clean up our lives, you know um, take out as much of all of these chemicals, all of these, just things that we don't need because they're everywhere, you know, Yes. um, that was the same thing with my daughter. I just wanted to, I didn't want to integrate so much in her, you know, this precious little baby. And I thought, why do we, we, we do this with a lot of our children these days too. And I mean, that's kind of how they instruct us to do, you know, with, uh, antibiotics and all kinds of, You know, when they get sick, you start integrating all these things and you're like, it's because it's what's been done and it's what we do. And you're like, oh, can't we just live life simply, you know? Right, Um, right. You would think, you would think. You would think, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to go back for just a second because right as I was talking about the NTP report, um, the dog came in and there was a vacuum cleaner in the background and all these things were going in the background. I don't know if you could hear them or not. Um, but it was chaos in my head for just a second, but it was at a very important part. So I want to go back for just a little bit, um, and talk about this NTP report, and then we'll kind of wrap things up. Um, I know you had four studies that Mm -hmm. you wanted to highlight real quickly too. So, so Mm -hmm. like I was saying earlier in the podcast, um, The NTP report is a huge part of the lawsuit that the fluoride action network has against the EPA and new trial date is going to be in January of 2024. So those things will be coming out. Um, just recently, like just a couple of weeks ago, a federal judge, um, compelled the, uh, compelled the EPA to go ahead and release this NTP report that had been held back by the health secretary, Rachel Levine. Um, So the report was held back for 10 months after it was supposed to be released. And then finally they, they gave in and released the report. So in that report, the reason that this report, I think, was probably pushed aside and there, there was no good motivation for any kind of government agency to release this report. Um, And I understand also any kind of report that's going to rock the boat and challenge the things that have been considered the norm for many, many years. They want to make sure that their I's are dotted, their T's are crossed. I can appreciate that. Um, And so, so now the report is out and what it is, it's like a study of studies. It is a systematic review. It took them six years and it went through multiple rounds of peer review, which it, it they went above and beyond to check and double check the validity of the review itself and to go into depth on the validity of the studies that we, they were using. So this study of studies in the ENTP report, what they found is that as of 2020, there were 72 studies that compared levels of fluoride in the drinking water and the IQ of the children in those communities. And in 69 of those 72 studies, they found a correlation between the two basically higher levels of fluoride led to lower levels of IQ. So that's, that is a big deal. Um, And by lower levels of IQ, we mean anywhere from five to 10 points on the IQ scale. And that might not seem like a lot, but if a child is borderline special needs, then you've just taken everybody at the edge of that level and now have created um, people whose lives are drastically affected. A child who might have been a normally functioning child in society uh, who is now considered special needs and will need um, extra help. So a big, big deal, uh, something that... you. back in the old days was like, that was complete rumor, tinfoil hat stuff, you know, all the crazy conspiracy theory. People were the only ones who were trying to say that fluoride dumbs down the population. Well, holy crap. We've got studies now that fluoride is dumbing down the population. Um, it's not, not quackery. It's not quackery. Mm-hmm. So that. It's a really big deal. And it's really upsetting. It's really upsetting because the quackery stuff that was perpetuated was what was taught to me in dental school. Yeah. So.
1: Among these. Okay,
0: perfect. Yes, that was those were the important points that I wanted to get to. (laughs) That was the important stuff that the dog interrupted that I didn't want the dog to interrupt. Okay. Now for those studies that you looked up that I would love for you to highlight if you would.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Paul Connett, he's, he's the, um, the director of the fluoride action network. Um, one thing he said was, you know, you, you, just have to read four of these studies, four of these studies that were in this systematic review and, you know, deliberately adding fluoride to drinking water unnecessarily endangers children's brain. That's just four of. However, uh, what was it? Seventy-two studies. Just four of them, and you're already into it. And you're like, so we we look at four of these studies, um, which were also, um, I think, three out of these four were already. Um, they were sponsored by the National Institute of Health. So if let that tell you something, yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, the first study uh, or the first big one, was, it came out in 2017 uh, in the Journal of Environmental Health Perspectives. Uh, they found a link between fluoride in um, the urine of pregnant women uh, and lower uh, measures of intelligence of their offspring, which I thought was fascinating. So for women who are pregnant, um, and still using fluoridated products and drinking fluoridated water, you're kind of, you know you're at risk. your child your child's intelligence is is very much at risk in utero, you know. Um, the second study, it was the association between maternal fluoride exposure during pregnancy and IQ um, IQ scores. So obviously the more um, maternal exposure, Uh, During pregnancy, meant uh, the IQ scores were much lower in in the offspring. Uh, And that one came out just right after 2017. I think it was a 2019 uh, study that was published in the Journal of American Medical Association Pediatrics. Um, You know, and when it comes to kids, you know, that's what gets heads turning. (laughs) It really does. Uh, 2019, there was another study. The association of water fluoride and urinary fluoride concentrations with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, Um, which, I mean, that's a big topic, right? You know, we start looking at ADD, ADHD, and, you know, I feel like our current system often wants to medicate for these things instead of digging deeper into what caused them and how to not, uh, you know, continue this kind of thing for all of the children. Um, But they found basically that higher levels or exposure to higher levels of fluoride in tap water, it's associated with an increased risk of ADHD symptoms. Wild, (laughs) you know, get your kid off fluoride. Yeah. Yeah, so, and particularly among adolescents too. I do not you know, that was one thing that they kind of zoned in on, on that study. But, you know, an adolescence would still be my baby, you know, and so if it's not if it's going to pose those kind of symptoms in somebody that old, I mean, it's almost that cumulative exposure that we were talking about, you know, just builds up till it tips over and like I wouldn't do it for any baby, you know, Um, and then all in 2020 there was um, another study it found a large decrease in the IQ of children. Who had been fed formula using uh, fluoridated water, um, which, you know, I can't say I didn't buy it. I didn't formula feed my baby for the most part. It was kind of a really, really new thing for me at that time. But um, anybody who has formula fed, you can go to any store and they sell these gallons of water that are supposed to be purified water um, to specifically use to mix, you know, powdered formulas. And these gallons of water say fluoride added, you know, and so they nursery water is what it was called. Yeah, that's what it was called. Yeah, I couldn't remember the name of it. Um nursery water. So basically there's a big decrease in the IQ of infants who are formula fed with fluoridated water. And I just, you know, whether they were on the tap water, I mean you might as well, you know, use tap water to make your formula, it's still fluoride exposure, but um like, wow, you know, four studies in and you're already just kind of shook by how much it really messes with the brains of our children from infancy all the way up, you know, and all the way. And that's just so scary. like, we don't, we don't need this. Our kids don't need this. I mean, nobody does.
0: So I want every, every pregnant or new mom to think about that for just a minute. So if they say that the ideal dose, it used to be one part per million. Now it's 0.7 part per million. If they say that is the ideal amount of fluoride to put in the water system, who is that for? Who is that 0.7 safe for? Is it safe for you drinking eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day? Maybe, maybe it is, um, What if it's for your baby that weighs six pounds at birth and you're not able to breastfeed, and the options that you're given are formula that you mix with water? Then what dose is your baby getting? What will your baby's fluoride levels be like after drinking 100% bottle fed formula made with water from? 0.7 parts per million of fluoride.
1: Yeah, it's a hard thought. Hard thought.
0: And that's what they're, that's what they're telling us is okay. So what's really the, basically the very, what I would consider the damning conclusion of the NTP report is that these, these peer reviewed scientists who were commenting on the results of their study were saying that they could not give a safe level of fluoride that could be added to our municipal water supplies. There is no safe level is what they determined. Now, that doesn't mean let's Let's take a step back and it, again there this is very PC everybody knows that there are serious implications to what they're saying. So they're not saying that at 0.5 you're safe and then all of a sudden at 0.6 you're dangerous or at at 2.0 you know maybe it's maybe it's double. Um they're not saying that all of a sudden you get to 2 parts per million and now you're going to see health effects. They're saying that the correlations that they found really tracked along pretty equally. And so there's no drop-off in basically symptoms or ill effects. So they can't determine where that safe spot is. We don't know. We don't know what the safe spot is and Mm -hmm. we can't control how much we're getting. So why are we doing it? (laughs) Why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? Um, okay. Fabulous. So resources, (laughs) (laughs) resources for patients, because I know we'll need to clean up, uh, clean up. (laughs) We do need to clean up. Uh, I need to clean up at my house, but, uh, (laughs) we need to wrap up here fairly soon. Um, so resources for patients, for listeners is I would highly encourage you if you have not already to visit fluoridealert.org. that is the fluoride action networks website. And that is, I think, a really nice, easy source where they have a ton of educational materials on fluoride that are really easy to see. Um, And they're
1: also, they're also really good about updating everything on the lawsuit right now. And so you can, I mean it they you can follow everything that is going on with this lawsuit. And so I think the next hearing is in July, something uh-huh. like that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and they, they post pretty quickly, you know, updates on it. So to follow along that's a good one. Yeah, they
0: do for sure. Um, but then I also, I, I want you to make informed decisions about this. This is one of those things that you really should not you shouldn't let other people make these decisions for you. So I want you to go to the American Dental Association. I want you to go to their website and look up what they have to say about fluoride also, because yes, they will cite a ton of studies. and um, They'll cite re- see reasonings for why they feel that fluoride is so beneficial um, and even why they think it's beneficial to have in the water supply. And I want you to look at those and compare it to what you see on a, a place that has the counter arguments like Florida Action Network. Um compare those two and make those decisions for yourself because y- yes, they will they will cite science. Um, I want you to look at how recent those studies are uh, and what's actually said in those studies before you make your decision. But absolutely I want you to see both sides. Uh, And then Erica, you had a lot of, uh, some other good resources too. Where else can listeners go to get more information?
1: Um, I, you know, there's a lot of, there's so many resources out there nowadays too. Um, some of my favorites, um, you know, videos, books, uh, websites, a lot of them are out there. One of my favorite things that I think a lot of people should watch is Dr. David Kennedy's fluoride gate. Uh, it's a, like a full documentary on water fluoridation. It's it's good just google dr david kennedy florida gate um some of the other organizations that were involved with the initial petition for the lawsuit that's going on right now uh foodandwaterwatch.org that's a good nonprofit uh moms against fluoridation i mean everybody knows when moms team up i mean so much more is conquered i mean we just rock the show you know you bet. um one of my favorite things, and honestly, this is one of the one of the things I often recommend for a lot of my patients. Um, it's again, it's one of my favorite books. Um, I remember when I read it, uh, I was a combination of mad, sad, and pissed off. You know, <laughs> I didn't know how I felt, but it was definitely one of the things that caught me and was like, enough is enough. Um, it's actually a book called *The Fluoride Deception*. I have it here. Um, by a uh, investigative reporter, Christopher Bryson., um, this is an amazing book, and this goes back and talks way into the 1900s about how fluoride was even, where it started, you know, how it got into our water system. So much in there. I mean, there's even, um, he uncovered like some legit things, like documents, photographs from early 1900s about fluoride. it's it's kind of creepy, actually, but, every time I've recommended this book for patients, they come back and they're fully informed. They had enough to, to make them confident and they're like ready to, to go on, find the root cause and figure out what to do for their oral health. And it's absolutely, uh, you know, so that's another one. I think, um, international Academy of oral medicine, toxicology, they, you know, I'm I'm very grateful for them too, just in my journey of biological dentistry, you know, they 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 have a lot of doctors in there that have kind of gone through that um that quackery, you know, and they were kind of shunned upon and ostracized a little bit, you know. And if you read a lot of the studies Dr. David Kennedy is is a part of that too if you read a lot of their reports and things you're almost like there's a whole nother side to this that some some dental professionals don't even know and so i i encourage dental professionals who may have that slight thought of well what else do you do aside from fluoride you know i want them to know about fluoride and they can go to the IAONT um and learn about it you know we're all in this together you know they can learn about it and say so they can come over to the dark side with us. That's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. And you had a fabulous idea uh, mm-hmm. that I am going to take you up on. Um, you thought that it would be a good idea to give away a copy of the book, The Fluoride Deception that you want all of our patients to read. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna do a giveaway, and it's gonna be cool. So, if you you choose whatever platform is your favorite, it does not matter. If you write us a review on Spotify or your uh, iTunes podcast, write us a review, screenshot it. Um, if you're on YouTube or Rumble, if you subscribe or comment. Um, write us a, I don't think they do reviews on there, Um, but you can like, and subscribe on those. If you screenshot that um, just DM me on um, on any of our social media channels that um, your review, your subscription, any of those. And the first five of you who DM that screenshot to me, I will send a copy of the fluoride deception. So first five. So, got it. and we're so, so appreciative uh, anytime you like, or subscribe to one of our channels. Um, like I said, hopefully we don't get kicked off of YouTube too terribly soon. Um, <laughs> but if we do it, it's okay. It's all right. Um, <laughs> if you uh, review us on one of the podcast platforms, we are so, so grateful. Erica, thank you so much for mm-hmm. taking the time. Um, for hanging through some technical glitches today, (laughs) so that we could give our listeners and our patients this super important information. Um, Because really, we want you guys to be informed. This is so important for you to be able to make your own decisions for your health and the health of your family. So Erica, I'm thankful for you listeners and viewers thankful for for all of you. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye guys.